Well, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, trustee elections are barely a week away, and they are starting to heat up all across the state. So what we're trying to do with this week's podcast is give you a little sense of what's going on statewide, not just with the trustee elections, but with trustee turmoil from one corner of the state to the next. Joining me this week is Blake Jones, our reporter who has been covering a lot of uh, trustee meetings and a lot of trustee races. Blake, thanks for coming aboard. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kevin. So let's start with the largest district in the state, some, uh, a district we've both been writing a bit about, the West Ada District, two contested races coming up on November 2nd. Mm-hmm. We're you know, looking into a race um, in a district that has had quite a bit of turmoil and quite a bit of turnover on its board in the last year and year or two. Um, we have two um, especially expensive races that we've um, you know, seen through some of your analysis writing, Kevin. And you know, these races have been you know, really contested and they, they've had some partisan overtones. We have um, you know, one race in the district zone one between Lori Frazier, who has aligned herself with the local GOP and mm-hmm. Brent Hart. And then, you know, aside from that, we have this Zone 3, which is in the West Boise, East Meridian part of the district that is, you know, both contested in legislative races, but also in the school board. And, you know, that race is proving to be, you know, contentious and expensive as well. Right. And that's Angela Redford. And Anita Beckman. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Redford, we can talk about the money at this point. Redford has raised more than $10,000. Frazier has raised more than $20,000. And I can't say that that's unprecedented, but it's very unusual for a trustee race to see that kind of money. Um, Redford's fundraising, she received money from Representative Joe Palmer from Meridian, Representative Cody Galloway from Boise, Senator Jim Rice from Caldwell also contributed to her campaign. It's not unprecedented to see elected partisan officials like legislators weigh in on nonpartisan school board races. But uh, the sum of money in this race was really uh, what has jumped out at me so far. Right. And West Ada has been a bit of an outlier, even in this heavily contested um, election cycle. If you look over at Nampa, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, you know, some of the top contributions that have been made have only amounted to $1,000, maybe $2,000 in the most heavily funded races. So, you know, this really does stand out even among the biggest districts in the state. And it's not the only drama that's going on in West Ada regarding trustees. There is uh, talk, there are rumblings about a possible recall election involving the chair of the, uh, the West Ada board. Yeah, that's correct. Actually, the chair of the West Ada board, Amy Johnson, is potentially facing the second um, recall effort against her in her you know, first term in office. We see a parent group that is organized generally against mask mandates over the last year or so. And, you know, they have been contending that because she's an executive at Blue Cross, that that creates a conflict of interest as she makes public health decisions for the district. And, you know, it's important to note that um, they haven't started any signature collection, um, you know, which would be required to get this question on the ballot. And no filings have been made with any pertinent agencies. So, you know, it's still very early in this process. It's a really interesting to me and, and kind of novel interpretation of conflict of interest. The, the idea that simply by having a career that you know, aligns you and maybe gives you some insight into an issue uh, that constitutes a conflict of interest. And I think about citizen legislators, whether they're farmers or attorneys or, or teachers. Uh, if, if you interpret conflict of interest that way and you say that uh, an individual's expertise constitutes a conflict, that's a really 
far-reaching argument uh, to apply to a citizen's legislature. Right. Yeah, certainly a wider interpretation even than the attorney general's office mm-hmm. had, yeah. um, you know, because the district had, you know, seen this effort that was being leveraged against the board chair. They went through their legal counsel to get an opinion from the attorney general's office who, you know, said a lot of what you're saying that, um, you know, a lot of voters may actually choose a candidate because of their professional background, whether it's in healthcare or otherwise. And, you know, they basically said that at least under state law, there's no conflict of interest, um, you know, that the board chair would have. Okay. Let's uh, shift a little bit to the West and look at Nampa, another large district with uh three contested races. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Nampa is proving to be a really interesting race that has been kind of a sign of the times election. So yeah, as you said, we have three contested races, races, um, six candidates. So we have, you know, these three one-on-one races. In each race, you have one candidate who is you know, putting their opposition to mask mandates and their opposition to school indoctrination and critical race theory at the forefront of their campaign. And then you have another three candidates who, um, you, who you know, are more supportive of mask mandates and, you know, they kind of deny these indoctrination claims, but they haven't been making either of those issues, you know, the, the center of their campaign. They've been Um, you know, all kind of more focused on combating learning loss, student achievement, and some of the um, annual achievement gaps that, um, you know, both Latino and white students have in the Nampa School Mm -hmm. District. And that feels kind of symbolic of what we're seeing with these trustee races across the state. In a lot of races, a lot of candidates have really pinned their campaign on CRT, Mm -hmm. on COVID response. As opposed to talking about a lot of the you know day to day education issues that that really do um, you know constitute the work of a, of a trustee. Yeah, absolutely. And you know whether that's the direct cause or not, you know one thing that we've found is even though a lot of races remain uncontested, um, we are seeing we have seen a slight uptick in the number of school board races that have you know multiple people vying for one seat and. And, you know, as you said, that, um, you know, has been a theme that has crossed a lot of these contested races has been this, um, yeah, the, you know, this uh, attention to the issues that have gotten people perhaps more engaged in Idaho school board meetings than they ever have been mm-hmm. before. Well, and you've covered a lot of school board meetings uh, of late where it's it's definitely you know, more people turning out and more passionate, more, you know, more angst-ridden patrons showing up at these meetings. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're, you know, that's kind of erupted into some pretty tense meetings at points. We've seen, you know, meetings in Nampa, um, CUNA, Coeur d'Alene, all ended, you know, short um, because, you know, crowds got raucous and they are, yeah, they're very passionate about, you know, issues, whether it's mask mandates or otherwise. Right. And we saw that in Coeur d'Alene a few weeks ago with a meeting that was canceled at the very last minute when you had people show up angry about the prospect of a mask mandate, uh, you know, kind of storming the committee room or, or storming the, uh, the you know district headquarters, potentially swamping the committee room. So the committee so the board uh, called off its meeting. Kind of a mini civics thing right now. The reason we're not going to be talking about contested races in the Boise district is that Boise is a charter school district. Uh, their charter predates statehood, so they run elections on uh, their own calendar based on their charter, which means early September. 
But we saw a turnover on the Boise district that you wrote about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we do. Um, and, you know, former trustee Alicia Esty, who is also chief of staff to Boise State President Marlene Trump, um, you know, she stepped down from the board, citing some of the professional, um, you know, responsibilities that she's had during the pandemic, especially in helping manage the university's COVID response. But, you know, while she might not be citing the, you know, pressures that come with, you know, governing a school board during the pandemic, she's also the third person on the school board to resign in the last count mm-hmm. in the last year. Right. And her resignation is a little bit different. But I go back to last fall when Troy Roan uh, resigned from the from the Boise School Board. He was very direct and very blunt about his reasoning. He said, you know, I feel like school boards have been sort of hung out to dry a little bit. We're being forced to make these decisions about pandemic response and and protocols, and we're not getting enough direction from the state. His frustration is very evident. But Alicia Estes' resignation, it's it's part of a pattern that we're seeing across the state. Again, Coeur d'Alene, two trustees resigned in the wake of that uh, contentious meeting that wasn't. one resigning really with just a few weeks left in her term, just decided I, I'm I'm not going to serve out until January. So turnover through resignation has become a big theme in, in school boards. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We have seen a pattern, you know, of unusually high turnover across the state. And, you know, even for trustees who might not be resigning midterm, that's been, you know, one of the central reasons that trustees have cited as they, you know, decide not to seek re-election. You know, for example, like we mentioned that we have two seats in West Data that are up, three in Nampa. Out of all five of those incumbent trustees, none are running for re-election. Um, and, you know, some of them are citing the political pressures. We have, um, you know, in West Data, Ed Klopfenstein, who you know, at one point last year, stepped down as the board's chair because Mm -hmm. of the political pressures, but stayed on the board. And, you know, now as he doesn't seek re-election, you know, he's told us that in the, you know, quote, in the last 19 months, nearly every board meeting has been a protest, every decision a fight. And, you know, he said that the, you know, personal pressures that have come with that and the threats made against people in the district have really surprised him. And let's maybe look at the big picture of that, because... In a lot of school districts, and we're talking about the three largest districts right now, but uh, even more so when you get into rural Idaho, trustees are hard to come by. It's hard to find people who are willing to put their name in as a potential trustee. These are unpaid positions, and as we've seen in the past uh, 19, 20 months, there are unpaid positions in the middle of a community furor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you say, they're unpaid positions, um, you know, and coming with as an unpaid volunteer position, you know, those layer on to the professional responsibilities that folks have. And, uh, you know, they might be subject to, you know, quite a bit of protesting, whether that's in their email inboxes or, you know, at the board meetings on the way to their cars. Um, you know, we've seen a wide range of outcry. And I should point out, we're going to be writing a little bit more about um, the races in around the state. I'm going to try to write next week about a race that's gotten national attention in Post Falls. Candidate uh, David Riley, who has come under fire for tweets, uh, coming under criticism uh, of and complaints of anti-Semitism. We're, we're going to have a piece about that because it's just, you know, local school board election that now has received uh, national attention. So we'll have more about that in, in the days to come. Um, 
You wrote about this earlier, and I think it's important to kind of go back and look at the numbers. When we're talking about these contested races and contentious school board races, they're still an outlier in the big picture. Yeah, you know, they, they still are an outlier, though, you know, the state legislature has made changes, um, you know, to hold those elections in November alongside mayoral and city council elections, um, you know, to increase voter turnout. We still haven't seen a large spike in, you know, participation by candidates themselves and wanting to file. So, you know, for example, two years ago, we saw about 23% of races going contested and the rest had either one or no candidates filing at all. You know, we're up to almost 30% now, but that's, you know, still a pretty slim minority of those races that are um, being contested. And it'll make it almost impossible really to do an apples to apples comparison on turnout in a lot of these school districts and a lot of these races. It may be uh, really the first go round for contested races in some of these districts in November. So, but we can kind of draw some parallels again about the fundraising in, in West Data. I was struck by how the numbers in those races compared to what we saw two years ago in a November election, Amy Johnson's uh, election to the school board, she defeated a long-term incumbent, Mike Wheatonet, and raised, I believe she raised about $5,000 or a little bit north of $5,000, a lot less than what we're seeing in these races this year. Wheatonet raised about $1,200 and came from one single donor. I mean, that feels more like what school board races used to be like. These feel a little bit more like almost like legislative races in terms of fundraising in some cases, in terms of maybe the you know attention that's being paid to these races. Uh, these, these feel a little bit more intense in, in West Ada and Napa. Yeah, they absolutely do. And, you know, uh, the correlation between the money that's going in and the campaign signs that they're paying for has been pretty evident to anyone driving through the district. As you pointed out in your analysis, it's hard um, to drive through Meridian or Eagle without, you know, seeing signs out on the lawn. And, you know, these are nonpartisan races, but there's definitely a partisan feel to it. I mean, I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. the state Republican Party chairman, Tom Luna, a former trustee himself, writing about the importance of these uh, school board elections and nonpartisan municipal races and really trying to get Republicans uh, energized in these races. I mean, the, the big picture, and this is not just in Idaho, but nationally, feels like groups are looking at these uh, kind of low-key school board races as a way to get folks elected and get, uh, and, and get inroads in local government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we hinted at how we're seeing that in West Data with Frazier and Redford. Um, you know, we're also seeing that in, you know, places like Nampa, where you have, um, you know, one candidate, Tracy Pearson, who, you know, if you just look on her campaign website, you see a litter of photos of her posing in front of, you know, GOP booths and touting herself as the conservative choice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been... Um, you know, maybe part of this larger party strategy, um, you know, that that Tom Luna is advocating for. But yeah, you certainly see some trusty candidates who are buying into that. And again, while these are unpaid positions uh, that often go begging in a lot of school districts, it's really hard to overstate the importance of what school trustees do. And in this case, in, in this area, what Tom Luna was saying in his guest opinion a few weeks ago is, is right on on point. Now, these trustees have a lot of local control and a lot of local influence, not only about masks, 
and pandemic protocols, but they hire a superintendent. They negotiate with the teachers union. They make decisions on curriculum and textbooks. Those, those very decisions that have a lot of people worked up at the state level, those are local decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, whether a campaign is, um, you know, being focused on, you know, learning loss or whether it's being focused on masks and critical race theory, these are four year terms. And, um, you know, over those next four years, trustees are going to rudder rudder their districts in a lot of the ways that you mentioned. They're going to have some control over how a massive influx of federal funding is spent to kind of counteract the pandemic. You know, you see like a, a district like West Ada that just had an injection of $30 million mm-hmm. in one round of federal relief. And yeah, they'll have a big impact on whether students are able to catch up. And, and it really overlaps. You mentioned the West Ada story that you published on Monday, but it also overlaps to what we were talking about and what we were hearing about this week, both of us, as we were at the State House listening to the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee talking about education budgets and education funding, that huge influx of federal money that has largely gone unspent. Those decisions are going to be made locally by trustees who are elected in November. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even the second round of you know, federal coronavirus funding that uh, funding that, you know, was almost a year ago now um, when it was passed, you know, that has gone, you know, only about half drawn down. And this largest round hasn't been spent, you know, kind of as you mentioned at the budget hearings this week, we found out that the state of Idaho um, has only spent about 1% of the money that it has control over. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the school district funding and we talk about the uh, the money that schools have received off of these federal coronavirus packages, um, the number we heard this week is that about $850 million has come into schools and about $260 million has been spent. I was really kind of floored by that number when we heard it. And it, it goes to a project that I know you're working on, that where is all that money going to go? Yeah, and, you know, that does vary significantly by districts, sure. which, as we've mentioned, you know, is kind of adds to the significance of these elections. Um, you know, in some larger districts like West Data, we see a bit more of a focus on one-on-one tutoring and kind of intervention programs. But we also see some smaller districts, you know, like a, you know, like a Kamii that have some more focus on capital projects and, you know, gymnasium repairs that have, um, you know, they, the districts as long have been needed to, you know, get some upgrades. And, you know, finally, because of the wide latitude that the federal government and Congress have granted school districts, they're going to be able to make some of those upgrades with this one-time funding. And that was underscored in JFAC this week, the discussion about how really, in the end, the you know, school districts have almost unlimited latitude in how to spend that money because they're, they're able to spend it for anything that coronavirus may have triggered or anything that, you know, but for coronavirus would have been, would have not been a a necessity, a need. So wide latitude and a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we, we've heard a few reasons why districts might be sitting on this money, but in reality, they didn't get access to the first two thirds of it until July 1st. So, you know, in some ways, maybe it shouldn't surprise us that um, things are moving a little bit more slowly, especially when their deadline to spend a lot of this money isn't until 2023 and maybe later. Right. And that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's important to emphasize that, uh, there's nothing, uh, untoward or underhanded about this. I mean, there's a lot of time for districts to spend money and, 
know, the counter argument would be if districts were spending this money too quickly, then, you know, people would ask, well, you know, are, are they using, exercising due diligence and spending? So obviously an issue you're going to be watching a lot uh, these uh, next few months and, and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but for now, we have school board races and um, I appreciate you coming on board this week to just kind of talk us through and talk us around the state about uh, what we're looking for in these elections that come up in just uh, barely a week. November 2nd is election day. Blake, thanks for coming aboard. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. That'll wrap it up for the podcast this week. There's a lot more to catch up on at idoednews.org. We mentioned the uh, the JFAC meetings. Uh, the Legislative Budget Committee came to town, talked a lot about education. Didn't talk about one budget item that we all expected to hear come up, but uh, we've got full coverage of what happened and what didn't happen. Um, I have a piece about uh, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan and her ongoing battle with uh, the media over public records, but also now about legal costs pertaining to those public records. We get you caught up on that. Sammy Edge covered the state board meeting this week, uh, discussion of student fees. Also, higher education enrollment numbers came out this week and actually some good news uh, for many of the state's institutions. I have a breakdown of that. You can catch all those stories at idoednews.org. Follow us on Twitter at idoednews. We will tweet out our links and any bulletins to breaking news. Follow us on Facebook and comment there. And check back next week for another edition of this podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye.